0: Worship service this morning. My name is Brandon. Uh, my wife, Charity, and I have been part Trinity Heights for a few years now, um, pre-pandemic. Um, and that's a fun demarcation in our vernacular now, sort of the, the new, um, I was into it before it was cool kind of thing. We were at Trinity Heights before the pandemic, um, but it's good and it's true, um, and we're happy to um, be able to worship um, at Trinity Heights on a regular basis. Um, <clears throat> Our teaching text today is Matthew 6. Um, I'll take a minute to read a few verses from it just to center ourselves in the Word and where we'll be going. Um, I will read um, Matthew 6, 1, and then 21 through 24. And then we'll pray and we'll jump into it. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. gathering all of us here today thank you for your presence may we be saturated in the word that we may know what it means to be filled with and to rest in the light of the Lord in the name of Jesus amen so we're in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount Matthew 5 through 7 Um, we are on I think week 7 of a 10-week series Um, and if I if I could succinctly sum up the entire Sermon on the Mount I'd probably say, this is, is Jesus positing how we are to live out our faith for the glory of God in front of others. Um, it's, a lot, it's a lot of do's and don'ts, uh, but the crux of it, I think, is how we are to live out our faith for the glory of God in front of others. And so today, we'll have, we'll have three parts. Um, and the first one will be, we'll look back at, at where we've been so far in the Sermon of the Mount to date. Um, then we'll take a moment and we'll look at the reading plan. We've all been encouraged to read along through the Sermon of the Mount throughout this series. Um, and then we'll take some time to consider um, the first half of chapter 6, um, 6, 1 through 24. Um, then we'll we'll consider how what does that mean um, for living our faith out for the glory of God in front of others. So, <clears throat> where we've been Um, what are some main themes how does Matthew use the Sermon on the Mount and one of the ways that Matthew uses the Sermon on the Mount is to express Jesus authority not merely as a teacher but as God incarnate God incarnate is one of Matthew's um, overall expressions and he doesn't do it definitively within the Sermon on the Mount It's sort of a procedural expression that's one of the pieces we see um, in these three chapters Um, it's not just simply that Jesus is a good teacher though that's true uh, that's not one of that's not his main focus, and you see that actually at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, um, chapter 7, 20, 29. and when Jesus finished these sayings, for the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as the scribes. Interpretation of the law was a pretty common theme. It's not. It was not. It was not uncommon. Each rabbi had their own sort of interpretation. This is how he ended up with six hundred six hundred laws. Um, But what's happening here is the crowd is saying, oh, this isn't just a great teacher. This is one who is speaking as if they have authority over the law, right? Um, And so part of what Matthew is doing is to express Jesus as God incarnate, not just a teacher. The second way that Matthew uses the Sermon on the Mount is to remind the people about the covenant relationship between them and God, as well as with one another, as salt and light in the world. So this is not limited to just be a good example. Don't hide your light under a bushel. Um, It is that, but it's mostly a reminder of the deeply committed relationships between one another and between an individual or a corporate group of people and God. Um, It's not exclusively about societal or humanitarian obligation. Um, It's about the committed covenant and relationship. Right. It's part of why Matthew has... Jesus um, on a mountain, to remind us of those times in Israel's history. You've got Mount Sinai, Mount Carmel, Moriah, Olives, um, where the people of God met with God. So That's one of the aspects that's going on. One of the third themes we've explored is how Matthew uses the sermon um, to interpret the law, not to abolish and replace it, but to have Jesus fulfill the law as the full image of God. God incarnate, right? Um, this is Jesus as the full expression of the character of God. That's what he's preaching here. It's not just this task list of do this or don't do this, right? So related to that, the fourth, sort of fourth theme we've pulled out, or at least I've pulled out as it relates to chapter 6, um, Matthew uses this to frame the love of God or the image of God to be reflected in his people towards all people, even our personal and corporate enemies, even calling us to perfection. That's a lot. (laughs) That's a lot. Um, I want to look, just as a quick aside, at at this perfection piece. Um, Chapter 5, verse 48. Be perfect as your Father is perfect. Be perfect as your God is perfect. Um, I want to be clear. This speaks more about who God is than about you um it's it's a lot more about the faithfulness and the goodness of God than it about is about your ability or inability to act perfectly or good um, If we think about it for a moment, uh whoever or whatever your God can tend to be, whether that's um, money sex drugs rock and roll, even healthy things um, like your kids um, or your family, or education, um, or even your health. Are any one of those things perfect? I oh, want any any of the parents who are in this room, look me in the eye and tell me that your child is perfect. <laughs> um, that's one of the things that terrifies me about potentially having children, is having all these little scamps running around and causing chaos, right? Um, but your education, right? Any level of education, any level of information, um, it will better you, but is it perfection? And then say the same thing about health, um, Char- Charity and I moved to a um, fourth floor walk-up. Anybody who's ever lived in New York has encountered a fourth floor walk-up, and you know when you get to the top of that those stairs, you know your health is not perfect. Um, we we had a friend back during one of those lulls in the pandemic when we were allowed to like have people over. We invited a friend over for dinner, and um, we're so excited to see people that we like ran out. and We like looked down the banister to like see her coming up. And we're so pumped, and no joke, she got to the second floor. <sighs> She's breathing and she leaned back against the railing for a good fifteen to thirty seconds and just like took a break. Um, and then about an hour later, when she finally got up all the stairs, um, we and this is good for you to know in case we ever invite you to dinner. Um, don't come over. Um, we'll go and get out onto the patio. And it's a trick because you come up to the top of the fourth floor and then you go into our apartment, which is a duplex, and there's another set of stairs to the second floor where the patio is. Um, but anyway, um, none, of, none of these things that we tend to make our gods are perfect, right? And so the big piece in this, um, g- Jesus being God incarnate, Jesus expressing fully the image of God, Um, us being called to perfection this says a lot more about who God is and how we are to reflect him right so those are just some of the places that we've been Um, good to remember Um, hopefully you will see how they connect to chapter six Um, so part two Um, I went too fast there we go Um, part two I want to talk about the reading plan for a minute Um, We've encouraged everyone to be in Matthew, um, Sermon on the Mount, together as we go through the the 10 weeks together. Um, One, it's a way that we all sort of bond over the text. We get it inside of our bones. Um, It's a really beautiful way for us to all connect. Um, I think we've been saying if you read one chapter per week, by the time we get through the 10 weeks, then you'll have read the Sermon on the Mount three, not quite four times. Um, Or maybe you do it one chapter a day. I'm not going to do that math on the fly and embarrass myself. Um, but I want to talk about the reading plan a little bit um, because we want to teach people to read well. Not just so that you can be educated and intellectual with regard to socio political or socio religious impacts of faith, but so that you can develop your spirituality and your relationship with the Lord. Um, this section I call uh, in my notes the low-hanging fruit section. Um, I don't know, in the fourth grade, we learned literary devices and how to interpret text, and maybe that stuck with you um, a little bit better than it did for me. But when I was 37 and going back into uh, uni, I was reminded of a lot of these little pieces that help us remember how do we interpret text, especially scripture. Um, So we're gonna just reflect on a couple of those. For your time in the word on your own and then it'll also help us see how we're dissecting the first half of chapter 6. So one of the first ones is the original text. There were no headings, there were no chapters, there were no verses, there were no footnotes, there was no men's study Bible, no devotionals, none of that was in it. Um, It was just Matthew wrote, right? Um, I have one of these Bibles that it does thankfully divide it into the books. And it's just, it's a great experience just to be able to just read through it and remember this was him writing um, in reflection, but also with purpose to express a few things. Um, I don't want to discount um, or mitigate the value of those headings, um, but I do want to say sometimes they're more of a distraction. Uh, They're not great as interpretational headings, but they're good sort of bookmarks. But this is the way that they were originally written. Also keep in mind the original audience. Uh, Matthew was not writing to individuals. The printing press had not been released yet. Um, he did not know that Charity, or Jesse, or Raff or Ruth were going to read this maybe on a weekday morning over their coffee. What he did know is it was going to be read aloud to a collective audience. And so one of the big pieces of that is as you're reading, there are oral cues, A-U, not O-R, um, and there are natural breaks, natural cadences, right? So if, if any of you have, played music, certainly if any of you have listened to music, I know you have, we did it today, um, there are natural breaks. You know when a phrase is ending. You know when a new one is starting. Um, I, my background is in classical saxophone. I once had a cellist who was teaching me about phrasing within music, and one of the things she pointed out to me was that, even for string instruments, um, there are these natural breaks that fit with how we breathe. Um, it's a similar thing within this text. And that's helpful because it helps us keep these themes together. It helps us know when sort of Matthew is taking a break, just like if you're reading any other sort of narrative. Um, Related to that is the use of similar phrases to group key principles amongst particular applications. Right, Key principles amongst particular applications. The Sermon on the Mount can get pretty hairy. It is a lot of do this, don't do this. A lot of people can think of it as a a checklist or a task list um, some of these phrases you'll see blessed are the so and so for they you have heard but I say and then in chapter six whenever you X right um, these are things that help us keep thematic pieces together and remember let's not get too bogged down in the particular application let's remember the larger general principle that's being taught here right? um, this paired with the sort of oral cues um, is anybody this person or know this person who can't get through the alphabet without singing the song? <laughs> That's me. Um, and it's a, it's a little bit that. I'm not, uh, I don't want anybody to get it twisted and think that I'm saying they sang all of this. There were, of course, hymns that were sort of written into it. Um, but just like it's a little bit of A, B, C, D, uh, you might have something like Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Right? There's there's this association when we have the oral part. So um, when you're spending time in the Word on your own, I may recommend reading it out loud. Um, helps with those. Um, similar to this, there are bookends. Um, there's a great example in um, the first half of chapter six, and it helps us keep these sections together. Um, it sort of starts with the general principle maybe has some practical applications and then sort of circles back to that general principle at the end Um, that helps us sort of keep pacing with what is Jesus trying to say, what is Matthew trying to teach us. Um, And then the last thing I'll say about sort of the reading plan, uh, keep in mind the setting. Um, And actually this one's, the Sermon on the Mount um, is, is a pretty interesting one, especially because the setting is the same for all three chapters. Um, Though I guess there is some debate of was this one sitting or was this multiple sort of sermon sessions, Um, the way that Matthew has put it is framing three whole chapters, which we rarely have as one setting within the Gospels. But this one's interesting. Um, Seeing the crowds, he, Jesus, went up on the mountains, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. One, you, you have the mountain piece, right? You have... Um, not only sage wisdom from somebody up on high on the mountain who's sharing information, you have that association with the people of God meeting God, right? So it's part of that God incarnate piece. But also, seeing the crowds, Jesus went up. Seeing the people, he went to go serve them, he went to go teach them. It wasn't he held a conference and they came. Um, And then after the crowd and Jesus sits down, then the disciples come, right? Right? So this is interesting because it tells us also about the audience. Who is Jesus communicating to? Who does Matthew see this message being communicated to? Um, It's all the people. You have the disciples who are the faithful, who even if they don't believe in Jesus as God incarnate, they're behind what he's saying, right? They want to be fed off of that. And then you have the crowd. And the crowd is everyone else. It's the hesitant it's the voyeurs who are like, oh, what's he going to teach about? Who is this guy? Um, it's the hecklers. It's the opponents. And all of these pieces of the setting aren't just geography and characters. Um, it grounds it in a whole different level. I mean, if you think about preaching love your enemies and you see your opponents in the crowd, you're like, oh, you're going to hold, hold me to that later, <laughs> Um, Or if you've got your disciples beside your opponents, there's probably a lot of grumbling and a lot of side-eye. But it grounds it in reality of this isn't just good moral teaching. There is reality to this um, that goes a little bit deeper, right? And the other piece of this, um, which sort of just mentioned, he's preaching to all the people. This is all of humanity, right? Um, And if we take this as Jesus is, is teaching all these things, so that we may reflect the image of God. Again, it's not just the disciples, it's all of humanity. We all have this vocational calling to reflect the image of God, and Jesus is saying, this is how you do it, right? And so we see that in six. So the setting is extremely important in these types of things. So a few pieces in the reading plan, for when you're, when you're home or just before Tuesday and you're a community group and you need to remember what did we talk about or what are we going to talk about, um, these are just a few pieces. So with those two parts, um, we'll focus on Matthew 6. Um, Matthew 6, 1 opens with a general principle, just like we talked about a second ago. Um, the general principle, beware of practicing your piety before others in order to be seen by them. For then you have no reward from your Father in heaven. If Matthew stopped there, you have enough information. The practical applications in 6.2, 6.5, 6.7, 6.16, these are really useful. These are the three or four that that Matthew wrote down of Jesus. But the general principle is you have enough. There's a thousand applications that you can think of in your own life. Um, But what he does is he then puts up four applications. Whenever you give alms, whenever you pray, when you are praying, whenever you fast, right? Some of those similar phrases to keep these themes together, right? And then he finishes it with, I call it an epilogue. I don't know if that's right. Um, it's what we'll use today. And he has three different sections of repeating the general principle, right? Do not store up. Um, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And then no one can serve two masters. Um, He will love one and he will despise the other. Just really simply three different ways of saying his opening statement. This is a bookend, um, and this is why I argue that the second half of chapter six actually blends better with seven. but he ends, in, he ends this section with no one can serve two masters um, because the particular applications are dichotomies that express pride versus humility, right? Um, I'll, I'll read, let's pick one. Um, let's do alms, right? Um, Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpets before you as the hypocrites do, in the synagogues, and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that, you are, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. Money is one we can all probably relate to a little bit. Um, we love to show off, humanity loves to show off how we spend our money. Whether it's on ourselves, whether it's on others, whether it's giving to people, um, our love for showcasing how we spend our money is exactly why humanity invented those car rims that keep spinning even when the car is sitting still. Have you seen those? I think I think they're fantastic. Um, and if you've ever, if you've never seen them, look up um, it, almost any hip hop video from the early two thousands, and you'll see them. Um, but that. We love to showcase our money, right? Um, and it also reminds me of tipping baristas. Um, if I, get to, I, get to, I love this, I get to think about it from both sides of the counter. Um, if you, you have your, your regular coffee every week, right? You go to your local coffee shop and you stand in line and there's that salty barista and you want to curry favor with them and they're, they're salty because they've been up since four in the morning and they've had to encounter 100 people who haven't yet had their coffee, right? It's not about you, but you feel like it is. Um, And so in, in order to curry favor, you're like, oh, I'm gonna tip them and show them I appreciate them for getting up, for giving me this coffee. But every time you tip, their back's turned, right? They're getting your coffee, they're getting your pastry, they're steaming your milk, whatever it is. So over time, you realize, oh, I'm going to hover that dollar over the tip jar. I'm going to keep my finger right over that button, right? And I'm going to wait until they start to swing back around, their peripheral hits that dollar, and then I'm going to pretend I was in the movement of putting in there. Whose move is that? You don't have to confess. Um, But everybody's done that, right? And so you think you're smooth when you're doing that. The person in line behind you is thinking, oh, man, I was going to do that, and I have to wait another day. The barista is on to it. And I'll tell you, the dirty secret is, baristas do that all the time. We do, we do that all the time because there are days when we're not in the shop making coffee. We have to go to our local coffee shop in our neighborhood, or we go to the shop we work at, and our colleague, who doesn't quite like us, and we don't quite like them, we need to show them, oh, I appreciate you for giving me coffee. We've all been in that position. We want people to see how we're giving, even if it's coming out of a place of goodness. But... Who has had that experience and it's turned out well, right? It, it's not good. The barista knows what you're doing and it creates relational tension, right? If there's a way to create relationship with your barista and show appreciation, it's through building a relationship with them. Um, don't force it, though. They hate that. Um, and, and the whole thing is because this relational tension becomes, comes out because this is pride over humility. It's self-exaltation over exaltation of God and service of others, right? And as stewards of the image of God, we, humanity, um, are called to live for the glory of God, not ourselves, right? And that's the whole point of what's going on in here in 6. Um, it's not purely about obedience, right? We mentioned this is a little bit of a task list. It's a little bit of do's and don'ts. So it is a little bit about obedience, um, but most of this is for our own spiritual health and relational health, right? It's for the good health of our spiritual well-being to put on the character of God and to live it out in our private lives and our public lives. Um, and the whole point is if you don't have it in here, you don't have it. If you don't have it in your heart, you're not gonna have it in the public. And we saw this in chapter five, right? And this is previous text informing new text. Um, if you have lust in your heart, lust in your eyes, right? you've effectively committed adultery, right? What is in your heart is your treasure. If you have anger in your hearts towards your brother, you've effectively murdered them, right? What is in your heart is your treasure. And so in these these situations, giving alms, praying, fasting, storing up treasures, if you are only giving publicly, you're not giving. Um, If you are only praying to be seen or to... Teach others through prayer, we've all been victims or or committed that crime of passively aggressively teaching people through prayer, right? Then you're not praying. Um, If you're only fasting when people see that you are suffering, um, you're not fasting. Um, You're not chasing God. And if you're only storing up physical goods, then you're just chasing after the wit, right? These are the things that Jesus is saying. Um, if our actions are habitually centered on vanities, then we're missing the true glory of life. We're missing out on the character of God in our lives. Our, Our private lives are a great barometer of our spiritual health and for finding the attitude that Jesus is seeking for us. And the attitude that Jesus is seeking for us is the character of God to be reflected in our lives and to ensure that we have it in our private lives. Because if we don't have it there, we're not gonna have it in public. We're not gonna have it in our interactions with others and in our covenantal relationships with our friends, our families, our enemies, and our God. So, back to that original question of how do we live our lives for the glory of God in front of others? You put on the character of God in private. Put it on in private, so that you have it in front of others, for the glory of God and for the fulfillment of love breaking into a violent and chaotic world. Let's pray, Father, thank you for your presence with us today and in every day to come. May your heart be our heart, and may we rest in humility, ever chasing your character. May the goodness, may your goodness be manifest in the world. And may we partake in the expressions of your love in our city.